Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold on. How much was the ticket? Two, $2,500. Oh, my God. Like, I hear nothing. Like, I try and contact Mike. Mike is like, ah, oh, we'll get back to you soon. We'll get back to you soon. Nothing. Eventually, I get a text message from an unknown number that I've never got. I've never texted before just saying, um, are you ready? And I was like, and I reply, I replied. I was like, who the fuck is this? That's what I said. I was like, who the fuck is this? And then I get a text message of Gary shirtless and flexing. Nice. And that's how I found out that I got it. Three, two, one, boom. All right, bro. I hope you don't get mad at me when I say this, okay? But if there is one motherfucker that I've been talking about since day one to every fucking fitness friend that I have is you have to look at fucking Jordan Science <laughs> content. What you've been able to do, man, being original, being yourself, you're not the classic trainer that's mad dogging everybody, showing off how ripped you are, stuff like that, bro. When did you come up with that genius idea to say, you know what, I'm going to be me? Thank you. It means a lot, man. Seriously, I appreciate that. Um, man, I don't I don't know. I think, um, I, so I've been making content for over 10 years now, right? I started in July of 2011. Um, my content has gone through many different shifts. Like if you like early on in my career, when I was a young kid, um, I was very self-conscious of how people saw me. And I think I felt like I had a lot to, to prove to people because I was young. So if you go back and look at my old content, you'll see I was trying to use really big scientific words. Like I was trying to impress people with my knowledge rather than actually help them. So my content ha has transformed a lot in that sense. But I remember my first ever website that I made in, in July, 2011. I'll never forget this. Like, I, I don't know if, if I can cuss on your Do whatever show. the fuck you want, bro. You're Jordan <laughs> Syed, bro. Come on. I, I had, I had, I said like fucking shit and like on the homepage of my website. And I basically, I remember my mom telling me, she was like, nobody's ever going to want to work with you if you swear. And I, I remember telling her, I was like, if someone doesn't want to get my fitness help because I swear, then I don't want to work with them anyway. Right. And, and so I, I think I'm very lucky in that it's sort of just part of my personality where I, I've never tried to really put up much of a front. I, I just, I am who I am, but there's definitely been improvements and changes as I've gotten more confident in myself and what I have to offer for sure. Bro, as you did that, right? Cause there's a, there's obviously there's a pre Gary V and there's a after Gary V, right? Yep. You were doing content before Gary. Yeah. For a long time. Yeah. That's how, that's how Gary found me. Okay. What made you do content? Um, so the reason I started making content was, so I, I started coaching when I was 14. I got my first internship when I was 14 years old, I was wrestling. Um, I made varsity as a freshman in high school and I had to cut a lot of weight. 
And I was good from a technique and endurance perspective. I'd been wrestling since I was eight years old at that time, but um, I wasn't where I was. I wasn't where I needed to be strength wise. So, cause I was going up against mainly juniors and seniors and I was a freshman, I needed to get stronger. So I reached out to this gym and I was like, Hey, I'll, I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. Like, let me just come and intern and learn from you. Fortunately, they said yes. And, and I started coaching from when I was 14, 15 years old and I fell in love with it. So I, I, I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. This is my job. Like I, there's no reason for me to do anything else. And so all of the, all the guys, all the coaches I looked up to when I was young had websites and I would read their articles, like their long form articles. And like, I got obsessed with it. And this is, this is in 2007, 2008, 2009, like way before Instagram, even Facebook was really, really new. Right. Um, so I would just spend all day reading these like 2000, 3000, 4000 word articles. And so in my mind, the next step was, okay, if I want to become a, an authority in this field, then I have to make a website and I have to start making content. And, and it, it, this was before, online coaching or online fitness was a thing. So I didn't know having an online business was possible. Like in my mind, there was no, con there was no reality. The, the concept of making money online as a coach was completely foreign to me. I didn't think about that. So I just started making content because that's what all the people who I looked up to had done prior. And as a result, after like two years of actually making content online and being super consistent every single week, publishing hundreds, hundreds of articles, then people started to reach out and ask for coaching and that, that it sort of accidentally turned into a business. But I just did it because I was copying the people who I respected. Jordan, that move that you said, hey, I, I would reach out to people. I'll cut the grass. I'll fucking take out the garbage can, all that bullshit. How'd you learn that? Who'd you get that from? Um, I think I probably got that from my mom, to be honest. Uh, for I mean, I remember growing up like, we, we didn't have much money growing up and I remember all my friends got allowance and my brother and I, we never got allowance. And, uh, I used to be upset about it. I'd be like, well, how come Tucker gets an allowance and how come he gets an allowance? And like, and thinking back is because they didn't have any money. Like they didn't have enough money to just give me money. Right. And my mom used to be like, listen, you, you live here for free. Like you, you don't have to pay anything. Like we feed you, you got a roof, a house, a, a roof over your head. It's like, if I tell you to take the trash out, you take the trash out. If I tell you to like clean the, clean the kitchen, you clean the kitchen. And the idea of getting paid to do stuff was very foreign to me. It was just like, cause everything I did in my house, I was like, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, so for me, just reaching out, I knew that they had knowledge and they had skills that I was lacking. So I was like, listen, all I need to do is just get there. If I can just get in with them, then it'll be worth it. And I'll, I'm, I'm more than happy to clean the yoga mats and to clean the floors and wash the equipment and put the equipment away if that means that they can teach me and I can learn from them. So I think it was just growing up with my mom and her being like, you fucking, you think you're supposed to get an allowance? Get out of here. Like, <laughs> Go clean the dishes. Dude, that is awesome, man. How good were you as a wrestler? I was okay. I was okay. I, I started wrestling when I was eight. Uh, I, I made, uh, I went pretty far into the, the state tournament uh, each year as a, as a high school wrestler, but I never won states and I never placed top three in states. Um, so grew up in Massachusetts. It's not like Ohio or Iowa wrestling at all. So I bet in, in uh, a state where it was like really high level, I wouldn't have even gotten a states, but I, I was a good, decent wrestler, definitely above average, but nothing to write home about. Jordan, the hard thing about wrestling, bro, unless your dad is a wrestler, yeah. it's not like baseball, basketball, where you're, you're, your dad's not going to wrestle with you in the mat and do the moves, right? Yeah. So that's why you're very vulnerable and that you need coaching, right? 
Yeah. And also, I mean, yeah, you're hundred percent right. Like it goes like that for every sport. Like if you have a dad or, or mom or whatever, who was like really active in that sport, right. like, and they coach you from that. But I was the only athlete in my entire family. Right. Like I, I was the the black sheep. No one in my family was athletic. No one liked sports. Everyone was academic. And I was terrible in school and I loved ath- athletics. So considering like how little actual training I actually had, I think I was very lucky. Um, I, I know a lot of my friends, like they had uh, fathers and grandfathers who were wrestlers and they went to like wrestling camps in the off season and did all this stuff. It's like, I only wrestled when it was season and like, I just learned what I learned from the coaches and that was it. So I think I was actually really lucky. When then do you make the move to Israel? So the first time I went to Israel, I was 16. I went like a youth trip with my synagogue. It was like for 12 days or something. Fell in love with it. To Tel Aviv? Uh, so we went all over. So we lived in Tel Aviv. We were not lived. We went and visited Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, uh, the Negev. We were all over. It was like a super quick 12-day trip or so. Uh, just went all over the place. Fell in love with it. I hated school. I knew I didn't want to go to college, especially not right away. So um, I... I found this gap year program that like you can just I, you can go to Israel for a year and volunteer right so you go and you volunteer so I volunteered with Holocaust survivors and volunteered all over the country in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem and Haifa everywhere and um, so I, I took a year off didn't go to school I went and volunteered in Israel and I just fell in love with it even more I was going to join the Israeli Defense Forces and my mom said she would absolutely kill me if I did so then I came back and went to school and then after school and I had started building my business then I I could work online, so I moved back to Israel after that. Dude, and from what I've heard, the Israeli military is like <laughs> fucking, that is the most gangster, one of the most gangster militaries in the world, right? It's insane. I have a, a number of friends who who have served and who still serve, and they're the scariest dudes I know. Like <laughs> they are, It's crazy. You speak Hebrew? Yes. Yeah, I do. Because your parents taught you, or that's they no. spoke it at the house, or you just wanted no, so we we didn't speak anything growing up, and it was just English. My parents didn't grow up or, like I I was very fortunate enough to be able to bring my mom to Israel for her first time. So we didn't speak any Hebrew. Um, when I moved there when I was eighteen for that like gap year program, I got enrolled in Hebrew courses, and then ever since like my goal for that year was to be able to conversationally speak Hebrew by the time I left, which I did. And when I moved back after college and I lived there for a long time, that's I, I my Hebrew really picked up, uh, mainly because I actually started to personal train and coach people in person and they weren't speaking English. So I really had to like put it into practice. So I, I'm all self-taught and I learned while I lived there. Dude, that's awesome, man. How awesome is it? The Jewish culture, bro. <laughs> looking outside in, you know, there's, there's, there's such great things about it, man. Talk to me. How proud are you to be Jewish? Like, talk to me about that whole experience, man. Yeah, I, I love it, man. I mean, obviously I'm biased, but right. for, for me, you know, I, I grew up not really religious, but a big part of the culture, right? A, a big part of the culture. Um, and I, for whatever it's worth, the, the Jewish community is interesting in that you sort of have the American Jewish community. And then you have the Israeli Jewish community. And I, it's very interesting. When people think of Israel, they often think like, oh, well, so it's the Jewish state. So everyone must be like super religious. It's not like that at all. It's actually over 70% of Israeli Jews are secular. They're not even religious. I've found that more Jews in the United States are religious. And I think it's because in Israel, like in, in Israel, Judaism is a part of everyday life. It's it's part, it's part of the state. Yeah, you're just living. You're just living. living. And 
in America, I think a lot of Jews lack that. It's, it's, it's not a Jewish country. It's not a Jewish state. They, and their way of getting closer to Israel and to the religion is to practice it more seriously here. Um, so for me, I, I, I've never, I'm not like super religious. I'm much more involved in the community and I, I love how welcoming and warm the community is. Um, I really, one of my favorite parts about Israel is just no matter where you go, like you could be at a bus stop, meet someone that you've never met before. And within a few minutes, they'll invite you over for dinner. Um, it's just the, the most kind and welcoming community I've ever seen. Uh, doesn't matter where you're from or what you do. Like I, I've just been always welcomed with open arms there. And so that I, I've fallen in love with it. Just like New York, right? <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I, I have, cause I want to hear that experience. Cause I have a thing, man. Did, did you get to hear, your brother, um, um, me on his show or him on mine. I did not. I'm sorry, I did not. You have to, bro. You he crushed it, man. What I think I crushed it on his because he was <laughs> more like relaxed. He wasn't on the thing, but I have a thing, Jordan, that I feel that whenever I walk in a room or talk to anybody, they want to talk to me. Like yeah. I have a I have a vibe about me that I carry that. 24-7, dude. And some people will be like, bro, who's this fucking guy? And then I then I stop. I'm not crazy. But it's like very like positive vibe attacking, right? How was it when you first went to New York coming from Israel and that love thing and everybody's happy and oh my brother, dinner and this and that? To go to New York, small place. How was that transition? Because was the first move for the Gary thing, was that the first time? Yeah, that's the, the reason I came to New York was for Gary. So I when I moved to Israel after college and everything, I only bought a one-way ticket. And there's actually a picture I took on Instagram. I was like, bought a one-way ticket, just going to Israel. Uh, I thought I was just, I was gonna make Aliyah. I thought I was gonna live there and that was gonna be it. That was the plan. And then Gary's team found me and they, long story short, I, I got offered to, to coach Gary for three years straight, seven days a week. No, but Early. before that, wait, 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 before that, you pulled a classic coach HP move, man, which is you flew one day, yeah. which you don't get credit for that. You know, everybody's like, ah, it seems bull, but it takes a lot of fucking balls to do that, man. And when you don't know what's coming, you don't know if the guy, especially a guy like Gary, is going to cancel you that day. Yeah. It's just, it's a big vulnerability, you know? Talk to me about making that flight, because how long is the flight from there, from Israel to New York? It's about 14 hours. It's about 14 hours to fucking fly 14 hours, bro. It was <laughs> talk it was to crazy. me about you talking to yourself, Jordan, at the time. What were you telling yourself? How pumped were you? Like, give me the whole thing. So, so here's what happened. So when, when I got in contact with, when Gary's team got in contact with me, they were like, Hey, we'd like you to, we'd like you to interview with Gary. We'd like you to coach him. This was in, February of 20, uh, this is, yeah, this is February of 2016. So early 2016. And number one, I'm like, is this real? Like, it, like I didn't know if it was actually real or not. Like this you is knew who he was before Jordan. Did you know who, I he, knew was? who he was? I followed him, but like, imagine you follow Gary V and then all of a sudden you're contacted by someone saying they're on his team saying like, Hey, we want you to come in. Like this is this a scam. Like, what is this? Um, so the guy I was talking to is actually now one of my best friends in the world. He was just over here a few hours ago. Um, he told me, he was like, all right, so Gary wants you to interview. Uh, we have about five people we're looking at right now. You need to fly here and coach Gary. This is in February. And I was like, okay, cool. How about we do it in June? And, <laughs> and he laughed. 
he because I was planning on coming home in June anyway, like coming like and uh, I just, love and, that. And he was like, "No, we were thinking this week." And I was like, "Oh," and I was like, "No, I can't." And the reason I couldn't is because I had just, I my business had really just started to make enough money where I could, I had I had money where I could spend it for fun. And the first thing I wanted to do was buy my mom a ticket to Israel because she'd never been in her whole life, and that was her dream. Look at you, so, bro. Look so at I, you, man. Got my mom a ticket, and I bought. I got her this whole trip because, like, Israel is like the most um, historical place in the world. And I was like, I can't show her everything. Like, I wanted to give her a tour, so I got her a ten day tour. Ten day tour. All right, let's stop right there. What makes your mom so special to you, man? Oh man, um, there's a lot to that. There's a lot like of what makes my mom special. But I think one of the the biggest things is she sacrificed. She like the the prime example of of someone who sacrificed everything in her life to give my brother and I the best that she could give, uh, and it's something that when you're a kid you don't really understand, you don't really see it. But looking back, like she literally put everything on hold and stopped and sacrificed everything in order to make sure that my brother and I had everything that she could possibly give us. Um, so I just it, it, to be able to to actually see that now it. I don't, there's no words, right? It's like, she literally sacrificed everything to make sure that we- And Jordan, your dad wasn't in the picture? He was, he was in the picture. Um, they split up when I was about 16, but I think like they split up probably 10, 12, 15 years too late. They should have split up way earlier. It was not good in the house. Um, it and you saw that and you saw oh, that, yeah. right? Oh yeah. 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 It, it wasn't good. It wasn't a good environment. Uh, it, that was actually one of the main reasons I never thought I was going to get married because I was like, if this is what marriage is, then what the I heck that. Like, yeah, am I ever yeah. going to get married? This is stupid. Yeah. Um, and so then after that, my, I don't really have a relationship with my father at this point. My brother does. My brother still speaks with him. And you uh, don't, why? Cause you blame him for stuff. He's a piece of shit. Like what's, what's no, the, it's a negative vibe towards you. He doesn't bring anything to the table. Positive. You know, it, it's really, I, I don't think he's a bad person. I, I don't, I think he did things that he's probably not proud of like throughout the marriage and all that. I think as a father, he did things and said things he wasn't proud of. He's not proud of now. Uh, I, I don't think he's a bad person, mm -hmm. but I, I do think um, a lot of uh, one of the one of the things I realize is whether they're blood or not, if if they make your life, if they don't improve your life, if they don't make your life better, you have to come up with it. You, it has to be your choice of whether or not you're going to keep them in your life. A thousand and, percent, bro. I can't agree with that more, bro. And I, I don't wish any ill will on him I, like at all. But it got to a point where every conversation, every time he spoke, by the time I got off the phone or whatever it was, I was just like, this is, this is like killing me. It's slowly killing me. And, yeah. and I don't think he, he realized that. And I don't think it was deliberate, but it was just like, this, this isn't healthy. So had to, had to remove that from my life. Um, Lee, I'm the same way, bro. Like, um, I see a lot of people with, especially in the Cuban culture, which is like the cute, I call it the Cuban guilt. You know, they keep, <laughs> their, they keep their parents around and this and that. And I'm fortunate in the sense that I don't need my parents for nothing. Mm. So I don't need to kiss their ass. They don't pay my rent. They don't pay my house. <laughs> they don't pay my anything. They don't pay my mortgage, my car. They never give me a gift. I don't need anything. So that's a positive, right? I asked you about the mom thing because growing up, I don't know if you know anything about my background. I'm the biggest failure in the history of Miami baseball. <laughs> by far, bro. By far. My dad 
taught me and prepared me for everything mm. except to deal with him. So he would, <laughs> which, which look at the irony of that, right? My dad's the kind of guy that wants you around, but then he's going to always make you shorter, fatter, mm -hmm. and balder when you don't want to be balder. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> be like, hey, you're losing your hair. And, and he thinks he's funny and he's not. And, and he comes from a place of good, mm. but he couldn't control because I don't know if the Israeli culture has this, but the Latin culture is stuck with this machismo, testosterone yeah. thing, yeah, bro, yeah, yeah. that there's no vulnerability. And especially in the 80s, this like peacocking thing, like, like, mm. and my dad would beat the shit out of me in a very bad way when I would fail in baseball mm. and I was one of the best. So that to me put me in an interesting state. And like on your brother's show, your brother asked you, bro, how do you stay so positive when you're stuck in that? Because when you grow up, I think we're maybe 12 years apart. You're 30. Yes. Yep. So I'm 42. So we're 12 years apart. When you grow up, in the late 80s, early 90s, and you are stuck with your dad. My dad had me with him 24-7, controlled everything I did. I didn't have a TV in my room. We had one TV in the house. Mm -hmm. And he's beating the shit out of you, and nobody's doing anything, including your mom. And she's seeing it, and your sister's seeing everything. And I'm the youngest. Where do you hide? I hid in my head, and I created this mindset of, you know, don't worry, one day yeah. this is going to get figured out. But my relationship with my mom is interesting, bro, because growing up, my mom was that. She was, she did everything for me. She was there, but inside she regrets not leaving my dad for mm. not be, she left him after 30 years. Yeah. So yeah. it's, which is way too late. And I empathize with her because bro, there's in life. I feel the only two things you can control my man are right there. Effort and attitude, everything yeah, else, that. bro. Right. But my relationship with my mom now is extremely weird because my mom has no, like, there's no connectability, mm. which I'm sure you might have. It sounds like you have the, my mom is, everything is very superficial. Everything's like, mm. how are you? Are you good? Oh, everything's going to be great. Good. Like giving me positive talk. I don't need positive talk. Let's just talk about normal things. You know, yeah. let's talk about that microphone. Let's talk about the hoodie. Let's talk about, but so we don't have a good relationship because of that, Got because it. it's very like superficial. And I almost feel like she's almost trying to impress me that she's good when she's not, mm. you know what I'm saying? So yeah. dude, I'm super proud that you have that good relationship with, your mom, and the, you were able to cut your dad because that's yeah. special. That's holding a lot of people down, Jordan. Dude, I agree. It's And it's funny. Gary talks about this a lot. It's like you have to remove negative people from your life. You have to, it's like, I think the word toxic has been overused in the last couple of years, but you got if someone's poison, some some people are like poison in your life. Yeah. Like some people are like poison. You got to get them out. And uh, I think it, it can be difficult, especially if they're family or if they're someone who's been close to you for a while. You know, the, the concept of loyalty has always been very interesting to me. Like a lot of people use loyalty as a justification for uh, allowing someone who's who's poisonous or toxic or whatever to stay in their life. Well, I have to be loyal to them. It's like, well, are they being loyal to you, right? It's like right. if they're bringing you down, if they're making your life worse, if they're if they're going out of their way, or maybe not out of their way, but if they're if their presence in your life is making your life worse, why is the loyalty only one sided? 
Yeah. Right. And, so, sure. and, and you really have to decide what's more important to you, like being loyal or making sure that you put yourself in a position that allows you to bring your, like get yourself to a point where you can be the best version of yourself for yourself and for everybody else. And if one person is keeping you down, then that for me, that's not worth it. A thousand percent. So we're going, we're there. We get the news. The guy says, we got to go to New York this, this week. week. This you're week. like, listen, bro, I can't, my mom, whatever. Talk to me. Take so me I'm right like, there. I said, listen, Mike, I, was like, I, I can't this week because my mom is coming the week after and I wasn't a citizen of Israel. And so Israel takes their travel very seriously. Like the security and borders are super serious. And I, in my mind, I was like, if I leave and come back in a very short time frame, that is a red flag to, to the IDF, to the travel, whatever it is. They're like, that's going to look odd to leave for 24 hours and come right back. I was like, could we at least wait for three weeks until my mom leaves and, and then after that I can come and he was like no it's got to be this week and I was like oh man all right so I didn't tell anybody I told no one I had a roommate I didn't tell anybody what I was doing I bought a ticket I left the next day hold on how much was the ticket two it's two thousand five hundred bucks oh my god yeah I was expect because it was last minute I was did like we all right, have reserved that we put it on a credit card Jordan talk to me debit debit I everything on my debit card like even everything. today everything okay <laughs> I, so just, we took it to the throat. We took yeah. it to the throat. Just, wow. Okay. Yeah. No, no guarantee. No, no. Nope. 2000 plus to go over there. Talk to me. The prep. What did you wear? How did you, were you like, okay, what am I going to wear? Am I going to go Mr. Fit? Am I going to go suit and tie? Like what's the hoodie? No, what did you wear? So I just, I mean, I was, I'm a sandals dude. So like, and I was living in Israel. So like I shorts, t-shirt sandals i packed uh, a bag of like gym clothes because i the, the interview was coaching gary that was what i was going to do is like you're going to coach him for an hour so you know i i packed a backpack full of stuff that's all i brought with me um uh and, and that was it that like i i i'm not a watch guy like i don't wear a watch or anything and not fancy but i did pack a watch i remember because i thought like oh maybe gary like would like me to look nicer and so i don't know like for your mind goes in, in weird of course, bro. You know what? I'll, I'll pack a watch um so book the flight go i fly there i get there and uh i'm literally there for like less than 24 hours um go coach gary and um it was very odd like the whole flight there i was super nervous and i was trying to design the perfect workout plan but I didn't know what Gary's goals were, what his issues were. So you're essentially trying to design a program for something that you don't know, which is ridiculous. So Jordan, anyway, did you it, think that you were going to ask him before you, yeah. or you, you just said, listen, I'm going to do push, pull some clients. <laughs> I, I was hoping, I was hoping I was going to have an hour plus with Gary, sit down with him, talk. That's not how it works though. Like, not with that motherfucker. It, you're no, going in and out, bro. You're in and out. Like, you're supposed to have an hour. You usually have like 35 minutes max. Um, and then I, on the drive there. So I get to my buddy, Mike's apartment. I stay there. Um, and as we're driving there in the Uber to Gary's apartment, he's like, well, he is- was previous. He was Mike's. He was his trainer before, right? Yeah, he was his trainer. So he was okay. the one who was choosing. He was the one who okay. was choosing. All right. Does he start prepping you, bro? Like, listen, bro, fucking Gary, don't pull out a banana. Well, it's funny. <laughs> so I'm in his apartment. I get my gym clothes on and I put the watch on which I didn't wear a watch, but I put a watch on and, and Mike was like, what is that? And I was like, oh, just a watch. And he was like, take it off. And I was like, why? He's like, he's like, 
Gary's not going to want to see you wearing a fucking watch. He's like, you're a, a personal trainer, not like a fashion person. Take the watch off. I was like, okay. So then I took the watch off. I was like, I shouldn't have brought this anyway. So we get in the Uber and as we're in the Uber, I was asking him, I was like, so what are his goals? Trying to design this workout. I have a plan. And, and he, and I'm also trying to impress Mike. Cause I know Mike has like making this decision and he was like, no, you're going to follow the plan that I wrote. So, so basically, and Mike is sick. Mike has the flu or something. So Mike just drops me off and leaves. He's like, I can't stay. I'm super sick. So Mike leaves and I'm just there. And then Gary comes downstairs. His place or Hudson? Because he wasn't at Hudson Yards yet. No, he wasn't. It was his apartment. Went to his apartment. It was like five in the morning, 530 in the morning. Right. We go over there. And Gary comes down and, uh, you know, <laughs> Gary always posts pictures of himself like bedhead, like super disheveled, like came down, like looking like he literally just rolled out of bed. Going to the gym, it's just us in there, and uh, and the one thing that Mike told me was he he was like he's got some back problems and and hip problems, uh, and Mike wasn't really a, a mobility guy; he's more of an aesthetics guy. I, one of the reasons I realized they wanted me to come is because I have a background in in uh, improving back pain, improving hip and mobility, and all that stuff. So I took him through like a fifteen minute warm up. I think the warm up is what got me the job because by the end of the warm up, he was like, I haven't felt this good in years. Uh, but through a 15 minute warm up, did the entire workout. And I'll never forget this. I think this is sort of what solidified it. The we're doing a last set of some tricep extensions. We'd go through the whole workout about 40 minutes in. And, uh, right before the last set, I was like, are you ready? He's like, yeah, I'm ready. I was like, all right, go, let's go. Last set, best set. And I'll never forget this. I said, last set, best set. And Gary sort of stopped, looked in the mirror and he goes, last set, best set. I like that. And then we hit that and that was it. Then he said, awesome. Nice to meet you. Shook my hand. I left and I took a plane, my next flight back to Israel. I was in wait, and out. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. So you're done there. Last set, best set, the whole thing. Yep. Now during the whole training, are you like, okay, one more harder or are you kind of measuring? So you're not so try hard. Like, how do you, how are you doing that? Um, I was petrified. I was scared shitless. Cause like, I've been following this guy for years and now I'm like in his gym coaching him. Um, my coaching style is more like do less, right? It's like, I'll, I'll come in when you need me, but I right. like, I found a lot of people, they get annoyed if you're like, come on. Da, 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 da. So it was, it was much more like laid back a little bit, make, I'm a huge stickler on technique. So for me, I'm much more focused on let's make sure that this is done properly. Let's make sure you're moving correctly and I'll give you cues. I'm far less rah-rah and much more let's make this a science-based effective workout. And I think he liked that a lot. There was one time when uh, he was trying to do an exercise and his technique was not good. And uh, and he was like, how does my technique look? And I was like, it, look, it looks okay. Like we can improve it. And he was like, if it sucks, tell me it sucks. And I was like, no, it's okay. He's like, be honest with me. I was like, it sucks. He was like, I needed to hear that. And, I, and I'll never forget because he, he was like, I, I like to know if I suck at something because that means I can improve. And so uh, so then I was like, yeah, your technique sort of sucks, but we'll, we'll work on it. And uh, that's awesome, bro. At the end, I was like, uh, it was nice to meet you. Da, da, da. He was like, yeah, like we'll be in touch soon. Get on a flight, fly back to Israel. And I hear nothing for six weeks. Like I hear nothing. Like I try and contact Mike. Mike is like, ah, oh, we'll get back to you soon. We'll get back to you soon. Nothing. Eventually I get a text message from an unknown number that I've never got. I've never texted before. Just saying, um, are you ready? And I was like, and I reply, I replied. I was like, who the fuck is this? That's what I said. I was like, who the fuck is this? And then I get a text message of Gary shirtless and flexing. Nice. And that's how I found out that I got it. And I was like, oh man, like this is crazy. And then 
a week later, I flew, I flew to, to New York and I moved my whole life because it was like, you start next week. And that was it. So broke your lease, whatever you had going on in Israel, pack everything, go to New York. I know you lived with Mike in the beginning, right? In the Because I saw a video of that where you lived with Mike for a little bit and then you bought a bill, you rented a place in his building. Talk to me that first week. How did you plan the stuff? How did, what was your goal with him? Were you like, okay, I'm going to make this guy. I know he was flabby. So you, or, or at least it looked that way was to get him lean, get his food under control. I'm sure that was the big headache was the food with a guy who's up 24 seven. So yeah. what, how challenging was that? So it was brutal. I, I almost quit three times in the first six months just because it, it was, it, again, it was three years straight was the deal. Three years, seven days a week, no weekends, no vacations, no nothing. Uh, and it's not just coaching him in the morning for an hour. It's, if at 10 a.m. he's like, I need a protein shake, then I stop whatever I'm doing. Like, for example, right now we're on a podcast. We have this podcast scheduled. If he had texted me, number one, I'd have to have my phone on. Just to, if in the middle of a podcast he was like, hey, I need this, I'd be like, hey, sorry, we got to go. If okay. he texted me 10 minutes before, I'd be like, uh, got to go. Uh, it was all day. It was like, whenever he needs you, you're there. You're on call, which made it super difficult to schedule. But um, And then also it was traveling. Like we, for the first two years, I spent more times in airports and, and hotels and, and all that than I actually did in New York City. If he was in Hong Kong, I was in Hong Kong. If he was in LA, I was in LA. It was all over the world. Um, but when I first started, any time I work with anyone, the first thing I have to do is like, what's your goal? Like, what do you want to achieve? And I remember before the first workout, I was like, hey, before we get into this, like, tell me, like, what do you, what do you want? And he said the, the first words out of his mouth were he said, if by the end of three, these three years, you can fix my hip pain, it'll be worth it. Cause he had this constant, constant hip pain. That was like this sharp, sharp shooting pain in his hip. And that was also affecting his back. His back went out severely like two to three times a year, every year since he was 18. So he was like, if you can fix this hip pain, it'll be worth it. Within 90 days, the hip pain was fixed. It was gone. Wow. Then we went to his back. His back hasn't gone out since I started working with him in 2016. Um, his neck was so bad. His neck was so stiff that his assistant at that time would only book him on one side of an airplane because we were flying all the time. But his neck would only bend one way. The other way it wouldn't bend. And he would always want like the inside seat so that he could put his head against the plane to sleep. But he could only be on the right side of the plane because the left side of the plane, he couldn't bend his neck that way. So wow. fix his hip, fix his back, fix, fix his neck. A lot of his knee pain. He had a he had a torn shoulder on one of his shoulders. Uh, he had some some meniscus issues in his knees. So his main goal was get pain free. And he said honestly, he's like, if I if I was twenty pounds fatter, but pain free, I would be happy. So my goal was all right. Let's just make sure you're pain free. Once we got his his hip and his back fixed, and then we're working on his neck, then we really started to focus on on losing fat and building more muscle. Um, it, the main thing he wanted to do was to build his chest. Like he, he was naturally like, he didn't 90s. have the guy's pecs. a nineties dude. <laughs> yeah, he, just, he, he wanted pecs. Like he really wanted to be able to make him dance. He wanted a big barrel chest. Oh, so he worked God. on that a lot. But that, so that was, that was really it. Dude. I'm sure a lot of his pain was because also playing basketball, bro, basketball on the court and stuff like that. Were you for the basketball or were you like, dude, you got to cut the basketball. I was all for the basketball, but and Gary, if, if he ever happens to listen to this, he'll laugh. I hated how he did it in that there would be times where like Gary's crazy. He's out of his mind. 
Like he's actually insane. And anytime there was basketball, there there was never just a game of basketball. It was either no basketball or he's playing for 12 hours straight in the heat and sun, like barely hydrate. Like he and he would go and he'd start playing and he no warm up, no nothing. Oh, and yeah, I'd be yeah, yeah. like, man, let's just like let's do like five, 10 minutes of movement prep before you get he but no and just go. And there were numerous times he would do that. And Gary's super athletic. Like I, it, it's pretty crazy. Really, really athletic. He moves really well. I was like, bro, you're 40. Like you, you've got to warm up before you get on these like six, eight, 10 hours. Like, and I'm not exaggerating. He would literally play for 10 hours straight. Sometimes, um, he had a court in, in, uh, in one of the houses we would go to and just play all day, ton, like do that. And then tennis, um, for cardio think- or for the love of the game or both. He, loves it. he just loves it. And he's, he he's really good at basketball. Um, he loves playing. He's super competitive. Um, he he doesn't do it for the cardio. The cardio is an extra benefit. He just he loves sports and athletics, and he's actually shockingly good at it. The biggest thing, other than putting you on the map, with that is introducing you to like content on steroids. Yeah, like just yeah. content out of your mind, right? Yeah. When did you, how that conversation started where you were like, okay, I'm training, I'm training, I'm training, slash, I'm going to start really now building my Instagram, my YouTube, stuff like that. Yep. How did that talk start? Did he just say, listen, bro, part of the deal is I'm going to hook you up and we're going to get you in the Vayner system so you can go. How was that conversation? So before, once I found out that I was going to coach Gary, I made the mental decision. I was like, all right, now I'm going to go all in on social media. So, but before Gary, I was doing stuff on my website and a little bit on social, but really my business was driven from email marketing. That's what I had been doing for a long time. Um, and I really enjoyed that. And, but I had never really done too much social media. So I was like, listen, I'm going to be coaching Gary. I'm going to go all in on social because this guy is the king of social. Um, and Gary will be the first to say this. I'll, I'll never forget. I remember I was with Gary one time in LA after my social media started to pick up and two people walked by us and they recognized Gary and they recognized me. And, uh, and they were talking to us and they were like, man, like, uh, man, like ever since you started coaching Gary, it seems like your social media has taken off and Gary interrupted them. He was like, just so you know, that's not me. That's him like putting in the work and doing all the social media stuff. And I think that's, it's funny. A lot of people ask like, Oh man, you must've learned so much with Gary. You must've learned so much. The thing I learned the most from Gary was how fucking hard he works. Like if you're a personal trainer and I don't care if you're coaching a lawyer or an accountant or whatever, during that hour that you're with that client, you're not asking them questions about like, about how you can do what they do. You're coaching them. That's your job. That's their hour. So when I was with Gary, it usually wasn't even an hour and it was a whole session of, of coaching. Like we weren't like sitting down and strategizing social media. But I'll never forget, I was uh, flying with Gary and D-Rock one time. I forget where we were flying to. I feel like we were flying to Chicago. We landed at like two in the morning and I worked the entire flight. I was just making content. Da, 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 da. We get off the flight. It's two in the morning. We land and we're just exhausted. And Gary sort of sidles up to me in 2 a.m. at the airport. We're walking out to the car and, uh, and Gary goes, how much harder do you work now than before you started coaching me? And I remember like, it was a big light bulb moment. I was like, it was night and day. And keep in mind, I had started my business many years prior to that. I, I like had started to make a name for myself in the industry. Like I wasn't lazy. I thought I was working hard, but the amount of effort that I put into my work, once I started coaching Gary and seeing how hard he worked, 
it, it's incomprehensible to look at, at how much harder I worked once I saw what was actually possible. So and harder meaning you would attack more. It was all day, every day, nonstop. I was coaching Gary and then I had my own online coaching clients. I was posting on How Instagram many clients did you have, Jordan? How many cl clients did you have? Uh, between 70 to 90 online, like one-on-one -on -one clients. At that time? Yeah, at that time, yep. Uh, which for one-on-one -on -one is a lot, 70 to 90 like emails and, and programs and all that every week. Um, and then posting on Instagram, bare minimum three times a day, every single day on my feed. Who was doing your editing? Did you hire an editor? No, that was all me. So you learned, what would you do? Like Adobe Premiere? What would you, what were you doing? No. So for Instagram, I was just doing like, if I did a video, I just recorded on my phone. Um, I just talk, like, I, I, you would do the words yeah. up top and subtitles or no? Uh, no. So later on, uh, in 2019, I hired a videographer because like, then it got me too much, <laughs> right. but like for, it was, I did a lot of infographics, a lot of feed posts, uh, awesome, just like, bro. and then, and that's really how it blew up. If you scroll down my Instagram feed to 2016, 2017, you're going to see a feed of fucking infographics. Like that just, that's when my Instagram, uh, so Gary challenged this, this is the big thing on December 28th, 2016, yeah, December, yeah, December 20, no, December 27th, December 27th, 2016. I've been coaching Gary for about six months at this point. Gary challenged me to post three times a day, every day on Instagram. Cause I had been posting like three or four times a week. And I was like three times a day. I was like, people are going to get sick of me. Like they're going to unfollow. He was like, just do it. So on December 27th, he said, post three times a day. I said, okay, I'll start today. I only posted twice that day. I go into coach Gary on December 28th and he's like, did you post three times yesterday? And I lied and I said, yes, I did. And he said, no, you didn't. I checked. You only posted twice. I was like, fuck. So then from December 28th, uh, I started posting three times a day, every day from December 28th until April 7th, my Instagram went from about 5,000 followers to 14,000 followers, which is like not, not great. Like it was okay, but like it was a lot of work for, for it. My Instagram essentially tripled. And it took me a, a fraction of the time to do that, but it wasn't that many more followers. Then on April 7th, I posted my first ever infographic and it was the first post I ever had that went viral. Between April 7th and June, my Instagram went from about 14,000 to over 100,000. Nice, and then man. over the next year, it grew a, another 100,000. It's just continued like that. Um, so the biggest thing that I really learned from Gary in terms of social media, like and Gary talks about this. He'll always, he said, people want tactics. People are like, what, what's the tactic that you use? Like, what's the special trick? There's no special trick. Just fucking post. There's a, just post more, more, and not more for the sake of more, but more and better. And so for the three years, seven days a week that I was with Gary, I worked harder. I think I worked harder and, and better and more hours in those three years than most people probably work in a span of 10 to 15 years. How old were you when you started? Uh, I, I, when I started with Gary, I was 26, I believe. I think I was 20, 20. Yeah, I think I was 26. Jordan, at that age, at 26, I moved to Los Angeles. JLo puts me on a TV show here in Miami called South Beach with Vanessa Williams. Okay. I'm like, I'm like, that's it, man. I'm done. Cause I tried baseball. I tried baseball. Didn't, didn't work out. I go, I'm going to move. I got my SAG card. I got to move to Los Angeles. I never worked in my life. I've been a little league umpire, which your brother was too, by the way. He, he was. was. I remember. <laughs> yep. I was a little league umpire and I'd done little stuff, just baseball stuff. So I go, fuck it. I'm going to live in a car. 
So I slept wow. in the Hollywood Hills for six months. Wow. I would sneak, I would sneak into the Equinox and Sunset Plaza there, shower and shave there. I would. It's, it's so crazy. I went there in January, and I thought it'd be sunny California because I had always seen sunny California. I was freezing my ass off at nighttime, oh, you know? Man. It was horrible, and I didn't know a single person. And I thought, I honestly thought because of my moves and stuff, I go, bro, this is going to be easy. I'll go to L.A., I'll start hooking up with chicks. I'll stay with them. I'll, make the, I'll be that guy. And then, you know what I'm saying? Brother, I didn't leave my car because I thought that they were going to steal everything from me in my oh, crazy man. head. So I learned why homeless people go crazy. Yeah, you know? I bet. And um, and I only slept in the Hollywood Hills because that's where I thought the studios were. But here's the irony of life. When I, I was with Wilhelmina Models, Wilhelmina Models over there, they gave me a flyer of a guy. Guy's name is Gary Austin. And it said, it listed all his credentials. And it said, when Helen Hunt won her Academy Award for As Good As It Gets, she thanked him. I go, fuck, this guy has to be good. So I had, bro, I, I don't think I had 500 bucks, man. And I'm like, and I would eat. I would sneak into the days in and the little things in the morning. You know, the complimentary breakfast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I load up in that, dude. And that would be like my, my thing. And there was, again, no social media. So yep. I couldn't go on YouTube and get motivated by Gary, by <laughs> Joe. You know what I'm saying? I had to literally be in my head and oh, go. man. I, I literally became the secret before the secret even came out. Because I would That's tell crazy. myself, I go, listen. This is going to get better. Or you're going to be the first Cuban that dies trying to make it. <laughs> Jordan, look how, look at the irony of this, bro. I sit there. This guy had also created a very famous improv theater called The Groundlings. And when I sat there, the first interaction I had with somebody that wasn't the people at the gym, this dude is there talking, and he's wearing a retro Houston Astros baseball jacket. Okay. I go, I got this fucking guy. No matter what, I go, I got this guy. Dude, he does a baseball analogy that day. I raised my hands. Man, you're absolutely right. I'm a ex-baseball player. We hit it off. He goes to me. Because one thing that I admire from you a lot is you've really known yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. in real mature spots. Thank you. I don't know if that's like the fact that your dad maybe wasn't around and you maybe were an organized dude or maybe that's the Jewish thing of being prepared, that you go mm. prepared. You know, I suffered a ton with identity issues because I didn't have one. Mm. So I, when I get to Los Angeles and I'm at a place where you're in Hollywood, I'm popping because I'm a 6'2 Cuban that's fucking shredded, right? From steroids. But I'm like, no, I'm going to shark the system. I was... I'm a super, 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 super hard worker, but I was lazy on the process because I'm mm. skipping lines. I go, oh, I'm going to hook up with an actress. I'm going to hook up. I'm hook so I'm going to hustle the hookup, right? <laughs> Which is respectable, but it ain't the way to go. So as I'm thinking, look at this crazy. This is as I do that, the guy sees my talent and he's like, dude, why don't you come stay with me and my wife? And let me teach you acting. Let me teach you how to do this. You can, you can live with us. And what did I do? I said, listen, I would cut your grass. 
I would drive him around. I would get his beer. I would do all these to be his right-hand man for this, right? But I asked him, I go, well, do me a favor. Let me sleep in your driveway in my car. Because I didn't want, you know, and hustlers can respect this, you know. I didn't want myself to get comfortable and go, ah, because I have tendencies of that. Yep. Because I skip very quick because since I'm all in on everything, you, when you're when you're all in or dying, you either hit or you die. And chances are nobody dies from trying. You hit. Correct. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. yep. So I respect that so much about you, bro. So ironically, the guy prepared me to do a one-man show. I didn't – every acting thing that I got was because I gave baseball lessons to the creator's kids. I identified that I was like – I'm like the kid whisperer, bro. I'm very mm. good with kids and with people, but with kids and through the sport – so I became like a celebrity baseball trainer in Beverly Hills. Wow. So I worked with everybody's kids. And after six years, Jordan, I go, acting's not for me. But this guy prepared me for what I do now because he taught me stage presence. He mm. taught me improvisational things. You know, I didn't know I was going to use it now. Bro, I did that for six years, failed miserably. I'd be at the high, I'd be at Leonardo DiCaprio's house, right? And everybody, somebody. Everybody, somebody, when they get to me, I bullshit and I say this is the best. I got I play with the Yankees. I got injured, you know, I injured my arm and I, I looked apart and I fit it till the wrong guy Googled me and then I was out, bro. Then everybody just, what just hated on me. No, like I hated on me. And it's just like it, it, it you Googled it, your name and you're like, you weren't on the Yankees. It's like the Yankees, you don't even come out anywhere, bro. So <laughs> that, that happened. And it was a real famous guy that did that. So I was like, fuck, man. But I was driving around. This is funny. I was driving around Kevin Connolly from Entourage. Yeah, yeah. E. And it says, I've never drank or done drugs in my life. Right. So I was a designated driver. So I drive him to parties and uh, to the clubs and this and that. And the opportunity, and I was thinking, I go, man, I'm thinking of maybe going to Vegas. And he's like, bro, you'd kill it in Vegas. You don't drink. You don't do like you'd be perfect. You're the guy for Vegas. Bro, when I went to Vegas and I started off as a promoter, and on a four-year run, dude, I think I was probably the most, I was probably the most powerful guy in Vegas that wasn't like Jason Strauss or like one of these guys wow. that own clubs. I started at a little club called Hide in the Bellagio as a promoter. Bro, and I ended up being a vice president of customer development. I lived at the Aria. I really learned. Wow. This is going to take me to my next question. I really, for you, I really learned how to be a man at fucking 31, bro. So this is you now making all these crazy ideas, $2,000 trips. You don't have a male figure. You don't have your dad telling you, listen, mm. go, I got you. This, this goes wrong. I got your trip. So that's how much credit I give you, bro. I first move I did was from the age of 19, bro. I don't know if it was because of steroids. Or stress dealing with my dad. But I went to a barber one time. And the guy goes to me. And you know these Cuban barbers. I don't know if Israeli barbers or New York. Bro, they, they like very passionate. And they almost like try you. This guy, is he's doing my hair. And I had jet black hair. He's like, bro, you're going bald here up top. <laughs> like, tr like, like if I had control, like he was trying me, you know. <laughs> and since I'm tall, I never really looked. And I would imagine the 90s. I gel my hair. I do all this thing. 
I started from probably the age of 20, bro, to 31 struggling with hair issues. Mm. Okay. I have, I did the hair surgery. I have the happy face back here. In the really? Bosley. Yeah, bro. I didn't even, this is funny. You ever seen Deuce Bigelow, Mel Gigolo? Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know the actor with the long hair who's Israeli, by the way, that dude, I thought I was going to get, cause I had wavy hair too. I go, I'm going to get one hair surgery. Oh man, I'm not like you. I did zero fucking research. <laughs> I go, this is the, this is it. Before I moved to Los Angeles, right? I had met with a couple people, and they're like, "Oh, let me take off your hat." Let me see. And you know, when your hair is thinning and you wear a hat, yeah, it, it gets even more thin because it's sweaty. And, and yeah, I live in my, and I'm in Miami at the time, so it's super humid. And people would look at me and go, "Oh my god, you're, you're balding, man. How are you gonna act?" And and and. This is one of the greatest lessons. I had the same acting instructor because I'm a guy, bro, that's able to maneuver. Yeah. Might not be talented, but my positivity and my angle, I can maneuver, you know? And I had the same acting coach as The Rock. Oh, wow. Because he was Will Smith's guy. Mm -hmm. And he got Will Smith because he was the Wayne Brothers guy. Okay. okay. Jewish guy, too. And I got the name of Aaron Spicer. Beast, bro. Really, really good. And the guy's talking to me. And at the time, I was jacked, bro. And he goes to me. And this is why I give all the credit in the world to The Rock. He goes to me. He goes, listen, he, The Rock, hired him to do a, there was, I think it was Get Shorty. It was a movie where he plays like a gay character or something. Okay. And he had really slimmed down. Like he had the, because at the time, you know, the camera adds the weight. So he had got, the, got him The Rock super, super, super lean. And he goes to me, listen. He gave me all these things that, that I would have had to do to act. And one of the reasons why I give The Rock all the credit in the world is, what kind of hairstyle does he rock now? Bald, baby. <laughs> bald, bro. How in shape is he? The guy is fucking jacked, bro. He's like Arnold times a thousand. Yep. And he did exactly what you did, bro. He said, I'm taking off the fucking watch. I'm going all in. I'm being fucking Jordan. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? One of the things I love about you is every time you post, Somebody asks you the other day, how tall are you? You're like, listen, bro, I'm five fucking four. Mm -hmm. Where a lot of people, especially short people, have the Napoleon complex and they're haters, right? Mm -hmm. You have all the recipes for being a hater. You're a gym guy, so that means you can mad dog people. You're short, so you can have the Napoleon complex. But you choose to do the complete opposite, bro. Thank you. Where man. does that come from, man? And, I, and I'm sure nobody gives you fucking credit for that. But I'm here to give you credit for that because they just think it's easy to live. Listen, it sucks to live life as a six foot two guy. It sucks even more to be five foot four if you have issues with it. Because yeah. as both me and you know, the best thing in the world is to be bald, bro. You know what you're going to look like all the time. You don't have to worry about it. And you're your own thing, right? But if you got issues with it, like I did with my hair, how come you don't have issues with any stuff of being you, man? Man, well, I'll, I'll start by saying everyone's got insecurities, right? So it's like everybody, myself included. Um, and height has historically been an insecurity. Getting bald, like, was an insecurity. But the thing about me, like, I, I consider myself very good at behavior and looking at behavior and analyzing behavior and, like, looking at people um, and understanding why they're doing certain things. And one thing that I noticed from a very young age is – it's, it's normal to be insecure about things, but if you project those insecurities outward, it is very unattractive. 
And I don't just mean unattractive from the perspective of like, oh, like you don't look good. I mean, it's unattractive from the perspective of like, it doesn't feel good to interact with that person. Right. Someone who's like very super, super needy. They constantly need reinforcement. They're clearly like uh, not like it, not everyone can be confident, but if you always need the reassurance or whatever, like it doesn't, no one likes hanging out with that person. And um, for me, anytime I noticed myself feeling insecure with something, I immediately said, whatever this is, I'm going to fucking own it because it is very unattractive to, to be the person who's just constantly insecure about random things. Cause when you're insecure about something and then you need reinforcement about it, it leads to very needy behavior and like taking as opposed to giving. And no one likes to hang around with people who are just constantly taking and taking and taking, whether it's actually physically taking or emotionally taking or, or spiritually taking whatever it is. Um, and so, I mean, when I first started to go bald, like I was definitely insecure about it, but I noticed, I was like, listen, this is something I'm insecure about. Fuck it. I'm going to own it and I'm going to go all in on it. And it became something that I became confident about, um, with my height. Like it was definitely something that I, it, everyone says like, not everyone, like it's biological fact. Generally women are more attracted to taller dudes. Like it's by bi it's biological fact. It's nothing bad or, or right, right, right. It's just the truth. Like that's a fucking fact. Um, but what I noticed was as long as I was confident in myself, it didn't matter my height, right? Like that was really it. Like it didn't matter. People didn't care. Let me ask you a question. Cause I've always said, if I was five foot four, I would just date six footers. I would look for <laughs> chicks. Tell me, have you dated? I know you were a chick now before you ever date anybody super taller than you. Oh yeah. Yeah. A significant number of the women I've dated have been significantly taller than me. Yeah. Like That's a confidence thing, right? And, and it's funny because when I would talk to them and, and like earlier on, whenever height came up, they'd be like, yeah, like you're short, but you don't seem short. And that was always an interesting phrase to hear. It's like, yeah, you're short, but you, you don't seem short. And when I would ask them about it, cause I was interested, like, what does that mean? They're like, just like the way you talk, the way that you act, you don't see. And that's where it's like being short is like a mindset, right? It's Fuck not yeah, it is. being short is a mindset. It's not like, yeah, like physically I'm short, but when you hang out with me, like, I, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You don't think about it. It's irrelevant because what I'm going to talk to you about, we're going to have a great conversation. We're going to laugh. We're going to have fun. We're going to have meaningful, deep conversations. It's like, if, if you're so insecure about your height, that the entire interaction becomes about your height, you are short. A thousand if, percent. Right, percent. Regardless, regardless of how tall you actually are, you could be really tall, but you could be short, right? If Jordan, super, how am I doing on time? Cause I could talk to you forever. How am I doing on time with you? Good, man. Good. I, I good? need a, let me plug in my computer real quick. Go, One sec. go, 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 go. Bro, you're a guy that's done a ton of podcasts already. <laughs> you have one and you've done a ton, right? Yeah. Yep. How's this one feeling for you? How are you feeling in this? Dude, it feels great. I love it. You said something earlier on that was very self-aware. Like you have a personality that just encourages someone to want to talk to you, like very engaging, ask really good questions. Like sometimes you go on podcasts and people are... You know, it's like sometimes they, you, they, they you don't give a fuck. Face. No, they don't care about you, bro. They, they they don't know anything. And it's like, oh, cool. This is the it's it's the worst, man. It's the yeah. worst. Yeah. One of the things I I have a weird empathy for your brother. Mm. Right. I I had no idea you guys were related. <laughs> Look how crazy this is. But I go once. Here's here's my connection to Gary. Just like you said, bro, you started. At 14, 
I started social media at 37, motherfucker. <laughs> at 37, bro, okay? I was in the nightclub in Vegas. Most I'm, I'm the guy. And I noticed my clients' chicks or whatever, everybody's on their phone. I'm like, mm. what are these girls doing? And I fought not to do it because I go, I don't need to do that. I'm crushing it. I'm, I'm making more money I've ever made in my life. I don't need to do social media. So I fought. I never did it. But I started, I was four years in Vegas. The man upstairs started talking to me. And he goes, the legend can't die in a Las Vegas nightclub. I, I remember hearing that over. The legend, you're not going to die in a Las Vegas nightclub. And I was in private planes, supermarket. Like every insecurity I had in my life got fixed, you mm -hmm. know? And then, and this is interesting because this is where you landed now, right? I went to school, to high school with my wife. I saw her one time. I was the hottest girl I've ever seen in my life. I didn't go up to her because I... I had no game and my, I had no TV in my room. I had no car. I go, how are you going to go to a smoking hot chick where you got nothing to offer? So I knew that. But she kind of smiled when she looked at me. I go, oh, and I, I just said to myself, I got a chance. And I left it at that, right? Bro, fucking 15 years later, whatever, I come back to Miami for a little brief second before I left to Vegas. I had a little bit of uh, attention in Los Angeles. I became a little known. I'm on Facebook, fucking taking down every single girl that kind of messaged me from Miami. I got a copy and paste of, hey, are you free? I just copied it. I was <laughs> destroying it, bro. And then remember Facebook used to have a feature that says, that pops up and says, you think you know somebody. Oh, you might know somebody. Mm, and yeah, her, yeah. Face, her face popped up. And I was like, holy shit, man. This girl still, because we're the same age. I was, she still holds up. She looked gorgeous, bro. I messaged her and she responded. Jordan, we went on the best first date of my life, bro. This girl was like affectionate and it was a love thing. It wasn't a sexual thing. It was like, I'm going to yeah, fuck yeah. this chick. It was just like, and we were kissing. I go, this is crazy. I go, I'm not going to move back to Miami. Like, this is, this is, bull. like, it was just crazy. It didn't hit. I'm in Los Angeles. She's here. I go, whatever. She kind of goes, this guy's not serious. Anyway, it's like a player, but blah. I go to Los Angeles. This girl, I'm going to Las Vegas. I'm crushing Las Vegas. The man upstairs is talking to me. She reaches out to me out of the blue to throw her. She's like, hey, hey, I don't know if you remember me. Best first date of your life. To throw her best French bachelorette party at my mm. club. I go, oh, I fucking got her now. Because I'm driving. Listen, you can imagine. Look at this. Look at this setup. I'm driving. When I dated her here or that time I dated her here, I'm driving around my mom's Camry. <laughs> no swag whatsoever. I'm picking this chick up, whatever. Imagine in LA, I had my G-Wagon, my this, my, I had everything going, but I came here last minute to help my mom out. Yep. So I had her there as the guy in Vegas. And bro, when I took her to dinner on Sunday and she was dating, so she was going to get, the dude was going to propose her. I sat there, right? And she was so nervous. And there's a restaurant called Javier's, which is amazing there at Aria. Anyways, yeah. I, I'm, I'm the home team now. I know everybody. I walk into the place, and it's like the it's like I'm Sam Rothing from fucking from <laughs> Casino. You know what I'm saying? I, like, I'm the guy. And I sat there, and she goes, I, I sent a limo to pick her up. Like, it was all Sky Suites at the Aria. Like, like I'm the man. And, she, and everybody knows me. And she goes, I wonder if I'm, because I'm nervous. And she goes, I wonder if it's because of this lifestyle that I'm seeing or is it because of you? And my chick, to give her credit, 
40 years old at the time she was like 37 38 uh masters made her own stuff died died of aids when she was real young raised by her grandparent immigrant grandparents had her grandparents living with her right like took care like really old school cuban style mm. and this girl could have gone crazy here in miami and she didn't you know and she goes no it's you and she goes what am i doing here and Jordan, right there, I thought to myself, buddy, I go, oh, my God. Am I going to stop all this of being the man? Because this girl ain't going to move because she has a grandpa. She's not going to move to Vegas. Right, right. Am I going to go to Miami? What the fuck am I going to do in Miami? Holy shit. And I thought about it for like about 47 seconds in pause. And, I, and these words came out of my mouth like this. I go, listen, if you give me the green light, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to break up with this dude. You're going to start dating me. We're going to get married. We're going to have kids, okay? So as a guy now that sits here at 42 now, married with her, for been married for six years. We have two kids now, right? <laughs> and I talked to her because I know this is where you're headed now. You left New York to be family guy and stuff, right? I was a 37-year-old guy vlogging in baseball fields in Miami. I got hated on by everybody, okay, except the kids. Because they'd be like, oh, vlogger, whatever. I'm there vlogging. Hey, what's up? <laughs> and I did that because of Gary. Cause I saw, I didn't know who he was. And I saw a guy talking to Tony Robbins mm. and interviewing Tony Robbins every single time I go, who the fuck's this guy? Right. That happens. I start becoming the kid whisperer. I start getting known on social media. I start getting known, getting known. I'm on ESPN and they're asking me about my method of mindset, dealing with kids, whatever. And I endorse for some reason, I go, you know what? I'm going to take this opportunity. I endorse crushing it. I go, what's up guys? Look, crushing it. This is a good book in English and Spanish, whatever, whatever. That was in 2019. 2020, I become the first guy to sign with Rawlings. You ever heard of Rawlings, the baseball company? Yeah, yeah, of course. The, the gloves. So I'm the first influencer to sign with Rawlings, and we have Gold Glove Awards in New York City. There's a dude working for Vayner, reaches out to me, loves my content, wants me to be on his podcast. This dude is doing podcasts in Gary's office. Mm. And I was like... First of all, that shit's crazy because I ain't Gary's thing. And number two, I go up, you know. So I sign with New Balance. I go to Boston. I go to New York in the morning. And I notice a hostile vibe towards this guy. And he's my boy. And we talk till then. But I was like, holy shit. And I go to him. His name's Andrew. I go, Andrew, listen, we don't have to do it in his office, bro. We can, I go do something on the fucking bridge. I'm here because of you, not because of Gary. You know what I'm saying? I, I love Gary. I love thing. Whatever. He's like, no, we do it. He goes, listen, you should talk to this kid. He's a big Astros fan. So I started talking to this Astro guy during, during the World Series, during the National. Blah, blah, blah. At the end of it, I go, listen, dude, because I never had anything, Jordan. So my way of fitting in, I learned, is by giving. Mm. Without asking for anything. Yep. Like giving. So I go to the I go, listen, bro. I, I'm pretty good at baseball mindset. Do you need any help? Because, bro, you sound like, you know, he was no problem. My brother is fucking obsessed. And my dad is. And my, my brother's a freshman in high school. I go, I go, done. Bro, I, I fly in a day earlier. First time in New York, like for this. I've never been in New York before as Coach HP or whatever. I fly in a day earlier, work with this guy. You know, his dad takes him, his brother. They take me out to eat that night. I go, listen, man. I got to be, I'm interviewing players at the Plaza Hotel, whatever. But if you need me to do it again, because I didn't see the kid hit and it was cold. It was in November. He's like, done. Let me know. I'm here for you. I'm interviewing on a Friday. I'm interviewing Ozzy Smith. 
in a, at the, in the hotel and I get a huge text from this kid's dad, bro. Like, so like, dude, if you, I would really appreciate it. This organization, like he set everything up, like so detailed. I go, I can't let this guy down. I go, listen, I'm done here Saturday at 3.30 in the morning. At 7 o'clock, Jordan, my happy, positive self, was on that ferry to go. His son picked me up. Wow. Drove to New Jersey. I gave for three hours. I gave lessons. I talked. I did, spoke to team, and I'm recording everything. I have everything documented. When we're done, the guy pulls me aside. Listen, bro, what you did to me today, no one's ever done that for me before. It's so special. I'm going to tell you something. Gary V is my best friend. Wow. And I'm going to to Gary. That gentleman's name is Lou Janelle. And no way. <laughs> and the <laughs> kid is Lou Janelle, little Lou, bro. So wow, that's that's, that is my boy. 2019, I'm on ESPN, Lee, uh, uh, Jordan. 2019 on ESPN. 2020, February 21st, the exact same day I'm holding Crushing It, I'm sitting in Gary's office. The exact same day to a year, bro. I'm sitting in Gary's office, and I'm telling him, First thing I tell him is, it's like same vibe with you. How proud I am of him, whatever. I don't need anything from him. I go, listen, you're going to be in, in Alberta, Canada. I'm going to be speaking in Toronto, Canada. I want to fly over there and I want to help you with some stuff. If I could be part of the street team and help you, he goes, whoa, let's take this to a different way. Me and you need to have dinner. Which is a big deal to fucking, first time you meet Gary, for him to say yeah. that, yeah. it's a big deal. That was February 2020. I think I got Corona after that trip because I was like <laughs> shaking everybody's hand. The world, <laughs> the world changed, bro. Right. I still haven't had that thing because the world changed for that, but it's because I know how to deal with failure that I go, don't worry about it. This eventually will hit. Right. Mm -hmm. You man, you now made the big move to leave the greatest city in the world. Cause I don't care with Corona, without Corona, New York's New York, bro. Any yeah. way you look at it, right? Yep. You leave, you propose to a chick, which for a guy like you is interesting because you're a content-heavy guy, man. And you're very content-heavy on the truth because I think that's what makes you the best. I think you're the best trainer on the internet right now. It's you because you're so relatable to you, the man. people, you know, in your lane, you know. As you sit there and go, okay, let me move to fucking Dallas now, right? Middle of the country. What are you telling yourself? What's your goal now? What do you, because I know eventually you want to have a family. It's different, dude. When you got kids, I'm telling you, bro, it changes, right? Because you <laughs> want to shoot how to do fucking squats and your wife needs help because bro, there's postpartum. There's a whole new thing that comes with this family stuff. We don't talk about, right? Take me to your mindset right now, bro. Where are you at? How happy are you that you made the move? Talk to me. Dude, I'm I'm great. I love it. Uh, New York is the best city in the world. It always will be. Um, I lived there for five years, and it got to a point where I was like, I, I, I it's not for me anymore. I, I love, I love it. I'll come visit, but I, I didn't want to live there anymore. Um, when I was in New York, my, you know how we talk about environment is everything, right? Yeah. It really is. The environment of New York was for me. If if I'm in New York, I'm working. And I'm not just working, like I'm obsessively working. I'm not sleeping, I'm not training, I'm not eating well. 
everything is focused on work, 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 work. And that's just my mindset when I go there because that's like what I lived with there. And that's like the the behavior my brain knows is associated with that city. Um, now my main goal, I, I, I'm focusing on myself more. Uh, I'm not only am I working less, I'm learning to become okay with working less. Uh, I, I worked so much that I, uh, I isolated myself. I alienated people. It was like, there was no balance. It was just work. That was my whole life. And it was great. And I don't regret it at all. But now as I get older, I need to focus more on me. I'm like, I'm in the best health I've been in. I think ever, uh, conditioning wise, strength wise, flexibility wise, mentally, emotionally, just, I'm looking out the window, just got more natural light, more space, sun, all of it. Um, getting eight to nine hours of sleep every night, uh, for as long as I can until we have kids. And I'm sure that'll go down the drain. But for me right now, someone gave me a piece of advice when I was 24, 25 is my buddy, Pat. Um, he, he gave me some really good advice and he said, listen, making more money will solve more problems until you get to a point in which making more money will cause more problems. Right. And it was really, really good piece of advice. And I got to a point I'm very blessed and very lucky in which I realized working more, and with like working more and going more and more and more to work more hours, work harder, make more money, get all this stuff. It, it got to a point where it was going to cause more problems, whether it was because of anxiety, whether it was because of health, whether it was because I wasn't spending enough time with my family, my friends, I wasn't balancing my life. So moving here was, uh, was I think the spark that I needed to put myself in an environment that facilitated that. And for me, New York facilitates an environment of hustle and, you know, right. for some people that's what they need and that's great. And that's what I needed years ago. Now I need, I need to live life and I need to be with the people I love and, uh, and be okay with working less. I love that, man. One of the things I told your brother was I go, listen, motherfucker, I go, listen to me, bro. <laughs> Because I, I go, you've been blessed in ways that you have no idea, okay? You were on a nine-year, 10-year run on a very successful podcast. Mm -hmm. People know you. Now you're a different guy than the guy you were back then because you were sidekick of a very out-there comedian, right? Yep. And he had to be the butt of the jokes for a couple things, and we all have to be when we're starting. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like you sometimes maybe he didn't want to take this or do that or be the, but that's how you fit in. That's how you got your ABs, right? Yep. I go, listen to me, bro. Let me tell you what I would do. Cause he was scared that he was reaching his hundred pound weight loss goal mm -hmm. that he knew his birthday was coming up or any of the celebration. I go, let me tell you what I would do. Motherfucker. I would reach out to fucking Jordan. I'd fly to fucking Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. Okay. I would document the whole thing because the same thing, and the internet loved this. YouTube, this was one of the most talked about things on the show. I go, this is fucking Saya Brothers all day, motherfucker. I grab your brother. He's a trainer, bro. Lower yourself because remember, man, you got to understand he's your older brother. So mm. on some weird level, he has yeah. that like, and I told him, get that shit the fuck out of your brain, right? He's an ally, bro. And I, it's so funny. I go to him. I go, listen, bro. And you like saving money. Your brother's not going to charge you, right? You're going <laughs> to stay with him. Yep. You're going to, the only thing missing in your brother's career is his confidence and mm. content. Mm -hmm. Two things that you fucking have, right? Mm -hmm. I go, listen, mimic whatever Jordan does. 
whatever when he record you recorded you he is an honest guy and yeah. your brother's a vulnerable guy mm -hmm. and he's funny in his own way yeah right yeah. so i go you grab that motherfucker and you do the 30th there in dallas and you get him to train you whatever and you get that 100 that way you're safe and you're covered bro I think he reached out to you after that, did he or not? He did. He did actually. So I didn't know that's that's where the idea came from. But yes, yeah, sir. He did. And I, dude, I was shocked because I don't know if my brothers told you about it. My brother and I didn't talk for like ten years. Like we we did not have a good relationship at all. Like there was a lot of uh, a lot of issues. Um, and this whole process has brought us closer together, which is like the greatest blessing. It's been it's been such a joy for me. And yeah. um, and. and when at first I was like, all right, like I'm just open to have like an open line of communication. We're talking, helping improve his health, all of that. And when he was like, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about, I'd like to come to Dallas. Like, bro, I couldn't stop smiling for a week. I was like, there's no way like that. He wants to come and hang out. I'm going to show you the clip. You got to look at the thing. You got to see what I told him. I told him on the podcast. I go, you have to do that, bro. I go, don't talk to me if you don't do that. <laughs> I, yeah, we're, we're setting up the dates. But yeah, he he brought it up and I could not be more excited about it. And, and I think he's going to do comedy over there too. Because I told him you have to do comedy over there too. Oh, okay. I like that. Because I think, right, in terms of, okay, he's a comedian that needs to go on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he has certain issues that gravitate with him towards food and bring him down. Yep. So I go, if we could continue to do both. You do the comedy, we because he needs you, bro. Because he's remember, like you said, dude, the success has traps. The one trap of being successful is you're by yourself. Yep. Because when you were there crushing it in New York, right? Even though it's awesome, you didn't want to eat pizza every fucking day. Correct. It's awesome when it's when you're sitting there and you order it and it's awesome. Two hours, three hours later, as you notice yourself, like fuck, man, I'm starting to get fat. My face yep. is bloated, but you're in just bro. When I was in Vegas. I worked, I made a goal to work for a year. Positive momentum took me to a year and a half every single day in Vegas, every single day. I would start because I started picking up, I would, my, I would get paid to bring girls to a nightclub. So I would start Mandalay Bay, Luxor, Excalibur, every hotel just looking at girls. Hey, you want to come to the club with a suit and tie? I wore a suit and tie every single day. I would go to a place called Las Vegas Tan. I would spray tan my head. So here and my hands. I was fucking Uli Iglesias, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Pale white from down here. But the suit was like armor. But that's the goal I made. Same thing when I became Coach HP. People are like, wait a minute. You work on the internet and you do content and you're going to be sure. It's the loneliest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Because people can't relate to you. Correct. Because of they don't, they, they can't empathize with your success. They can't empathize with the amount of fucking work you do. And they're haters. Mm. And it's not their fault because they don't have that winning gene that you were born with to say, hey, let me do this for free, mm -hmm. right? Which you got, but your brother didn't get. Yeah. He's not like that. And you now understanding that, hey, bro, you're my brother. You didn't get that gene, but you know what you did get that we all have? You got a heart. Yeah. Yeah. Because I trust you. I trust that dude just like you. I trust you with what. So that's how you got to look at it. And he... He needs you way more than you need him. So maybe there you'll need a little more, you know, but I love that guy, man. And I'm so happy that he uh, reached out to you. I'm going to get him. See if I surprise him. What I want to do is I, I want him to book something in Dallas that he's good. And I want to show up. Dude, that'd be awesome. I, I want to show that. up. Yeah. Record it and watch him on stage and stuff and whatever. 
Two more questions before I let you go. Last thing. What type of music do you like, man? What's your favorite type of music? Man, I like everything. Um, I, I, don't, not, I don't listen to opera or yodeling. But aside from that, I really like everything. Um, lately, man, I just go towards workout music. And Eminem is just like he's – Name me one Eminem song. Give me your Eminem song. One Eminem lose song. Your, lose yourself. That's the one, bro. That's the That's one. That's the one. Brother, you are the best, man. I, I am so pumped for you in the future and what you have. I, I I couldn't be more proud of you, bro. Before I let you go, any questions for me, man? Anything I can help you with? Bro, no, this is it's been wonderful. Like you were on a great show. It's been incredible getting to hang out with you. Hopefully we can do it in person sometime soon. If I can ever do anything, I hope you don't ever hesitate to reach out. You got my number, man. Uh, I'd love to link up at some time and thank you for having me on. One thousand percent, dude. I'm here in Miami. And I go to I go to Grapevine a lot because I speak a lot in Texas. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so, amazing. So we'll, we'll we'll be in touch. Hold on, don't leave. Let me hang up with you the right way. I'm gonna hang up with you the right. Way. Hold on, I'm gonna end this. Hold up! What was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.